Our second scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 28 in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. It's a straight line that divides me from y'all, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted, okay? Can you see it, Peter? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. There you go. Some scripture is easy to read and proclaim, at least on the surface. I mean, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's pretty cut and dried. Uh, you might could argue some of on that verse, but it's pretty clear. All have sinned and come fallen short of the glory of God. And there are other scripture passages and stories in the Bible where, quite frankly, different interpretations of portions of the stories don't mean as much when it comes to what is the point of the story. Uh there is debate about the creation story and what the definition of one day is. What is this? It's an amber alert in Memphis, Tennessee. I apologize for that, not for the alert. Um, the creation story. People argue about what one day is in God's eyes. And for me, the bottom line is God created it, period. Okay? We can get so bogged down in some of those in, in, into parts of the story that we fail to see the point. I mean, is it Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish? Does the kind of fish really matter in the long run when we're thinking about what is the point of the story of Jonah? So we sometimes get so bogged down into the minutia of the details of a story that we actually miss the whole point of the story. I'm afraid that's not the case with the scripture from Matthew today, at least not on the surface of the story. For what we see on the surface is, frankly, quite disturbing. What we see on the surface is not the Jesus we proclaim. I mean, the quote, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Really? How about that one for a Bible drill memory verse, folks? Come on. Jesus responds to the Canaanite woman's request by saying, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. 
Say it ain't so, Jesus. Come on. And it is precisely because this is not the Jesus we proclaim that forces us to pause and ponder what actually is going on here. And that's where we might get ourselves into trouble. I've read those who say that Jesus was calling this woman a cute little pet puppy, almost like a term of endearment. Oh, my little bitty puppy, so cute. Okay. Well, the Greek simply translates, and Richard will correct me if I'm wrong, a little dog or a little house dog. Okay. In fact, the picture that comes to my mind is a little yappy puppy, annoying actually, always wanting something, kind of like the dog at my house. There's another viewpoint that Jesus was kind of teasing the woman, kind of wink, wink, as he says he cannot take what rightfully belongs to Israel and give it to the dogs. I'm sorry, but I just don't see it. I don't see Jesus teasing us and playing around with something as serious as a mother with a demon-possessed daughter asking for his help. Yet another viewpoint is that Jesus was testing her, seeing if she would be persistent. My goodness, is anybody else getting an Amber Alert? Am I the only one? Everybody else has their phones on silent. I'm telling you what, okay. Uh, Jesus was testing her, and when she passed the test, it's like, ding, 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 you passed, here's your prize. Again, I'm just not there with this story. And so where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with reality. Let me offer two additional viewpoints as to what is going on here. The first from N.T. Wright, no surprise there. He writes, we are here once again at a point where Jesus' fundamental mission is being defined. He wasn't simply a traveling doctor whose task was to heal every sick person he met. He had a very specific calling. God's people, Israel, needed to know that their God was now at last fulfilling his promises. The kingdom for which they had longed was beginning to appear. Jesus was its herald. And as the disciples were starting to realize, he was himself God's anointed king. But this message was always aimed at Israel itself. Not to maintain this would be to imply that God had made a mistake in choosing and calling Israel to be his special people, the promise bearers through whom his word and his new life would be brought to the rest of the world. He goes on. He writes, that's why Israel had to hear the message first. If the promise-bearing people were in danger of forgetting the promise, they must be reminded precisely because the promises are now being fulfilled. If Jesus and his followers had simply begun an indiscriminate mission to the wider world, before God's purpose had unfolded, they would have made God a liar. That is why Jesus himself and his followers at his instruction limited their work almost entirely to the Jewish people. He concludes, What we have here is as startling to us perhaps as it was to Jesus' followers at the time. The woman's faith broke 
through the waiting period. The time in which Jesus would come to Jerusalem as Israel's Messiah, be killed and raised again, and then send his followers out into all the world. The disciples and perhaps Jesus himself are not yet ready for Calvary. This foreign woman is already insisting upon Easter. And so we have Wright describing this event in cosmic theological terms. The very mission of God himself from the beginning through the coming of Jesus and the New Testament and the New Covenant. And then we have this viewpoint from David Lose and others. No surprise there again. He writes, With this painful, even pitiable, yet faithfully persistent plea, the Canaanite woman asks to be seen and heard, recognized as another child of God. And through her person and her plea, she teaches Jesus something about himself and his mission that is crucial for him to learn. I realize that we may be, feel uncomfortable with the idea of Jesus learning, but I can't think of another term that better captures Jesus' expanded sense of mission at this point in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel that ends with the commission to take the good news to the very ends of the earth. With this viewpoint, we see Jesus, who we believe was fully God and fully human, growing into his humanity and into his ministry. It seems to me that a combination of both of these views is very plausible. Jesus had a purpose and a mission. It would make sense that from time to time, someone or something happened that caused him to rethink, to refocus. You see, Jesus drew a line. Yet this persistent woman begged him to cross that line, to include her in his plans. And he did. Let us not get so mired in the details that we fail to see the ending. Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus crossed the line. You know, we draw lots of lines in our world. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's cautious. Sometimes it's necessary to draw a line. Unless you truly have lived on another planet for the last few days, you will know that a solar eclipse is happening tomorrow. There are countdowns everywhere. We're going to get about a 93% coverage in the Mid-South. It's been a while since this has happened in our neck of the woods, way back to 1979. At Northwest last week, I asked if we were going to give any kind of warning to students, most of whom were not born in 1979. We were going to give them warning not to look directly at the eclipse. Fortunately, my good friend Dan Smith was already working on it when I called him. And so Northwest issued a statement, and I announced it to my classes Friday. Draw the line. Do not look directly at the eclipse. Do not look directly at the eclipse. Okay. You must have special ISO-approved glasses, 
special glasses, but not knockoffs like I saw in the news that this Catholic school in Memphis had ordered 600 pair from this place in China on Amazon. They had the ISO approved and even the stamp from the place in Memphis that makes them, but they were frauds. So get the real deal. And even when you have those special glasses, don't look for very long, even with those glasses on. I had one of my brighter students who was taking me for the third time, not the same class, for the third different class, come by after class and say, I'm planning to wear my sunglasses. Will that be okay? And I said, no, that will not be okay. Are they ISO approved to where you can't see anything through them? This is what you can do. This is what you cannot do. Draw the line. Some lines are necessary. Another school example, last week, and I think it might be prophetic that my cell phone went off, Andy. Andy and I were bemoaning the use of cell phones in class. Wednesday, I drew the line, as I do every semester. First time I tell you to quit texting is a warning. The second time, you're out of the class for that period. The third time, you're out for the rest of the semester. I drew the line on Wednesday. It's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class, so Friday, the next class period, there was this lady in the back of the class texting, and I had to issue a warning, and she looked at me as if she had never heard that before. We draw lines, and sometimes it is good, sometimes it is necessary, except except when we draw the line regarding someone's value or worth or dignity. I go back to the horrible events surrounding the recent protest in Charlottesville and the ensuing chaos from the White House on down, and I quote David Loth again. And just as the Canaanite woman teaches Jesus that God's mission and vision and compassion and mercy are bigger than what he may have initially imagined, so also the Canaanite woman might be teaching us the same at a time when synagogues are threatened, mosques are being firebombed, and neo-Nazis and white supremacists march the streets. Every time you draw a line between who's in and who's out, you will find the God made manifest in Jesus on the other side. I wish that I had come up with that statement, but it's not mine, it's his. Every time you draw a line between who's in and who's out, you will find the God made manifest in Jesus on the other side. And this is what makes our story today in Scripture much more compelling than we might see at first glance. Jesus was human as well as God. We read in Luke that Jesus grew both in wisdom and in stature. If we really are seeing a growing moment in his ministry, a learning opportunity, if you will, what does that say about our attempt at ministry? Who's in and who's out? Where do we draw the line? 
Jesus had drawn a line. But then, and that's where he is today, with lines that are drawn in this fashion. Every time you draw a line between who's in and who's out, you will find Jesus on the other side. But you see, when we draw lines in this way, when we are pondering the dignity and the worth and the value of people, those lines do not remain straight. Eventually they start to curve. They start to curve inward. Easton, I need your help again. I want you to get on that side. I'm going to get on this side. Slowly pull it around. Slowly pull it around. And let's just kind of put it right back there. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. This straight line that begins to curve inward will eventually curve inward so much that it encircles us and isolates us. We find ourselves on the inside looking at those on the outside. The main problem with those lines that become circles is if we look close enough, we're going to see Jesus standing with the others on the outside. And the tighter our circle becomes the more difficult it becomes for us to see him with us on the inside. And as we saw with Jesus, sometimes there are lines that not only need to be crossed, but need to be broken, need to be erased. And that's exactly what he did. Whenever he died on the He broke all of those lines. He erased all of those lines. There was a line drawn by Nazis and white supremacists decades ago. That line had to be broken. People like Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave their lives in order to cross that line and break it. And yet we see that line trying to be drawn again in our country with the hatred and the vileness of white nationalism, white supremacy, and organizations like the KKK. My friends, that line has been crossed, and it has been broken, and it has been erased by Jesus. We in the church need to make sure that that line stays crossed and broken. The church has a responsibility, and although silence is an option, there was silence back in the days with Hitler and Nazi. Silence from the church. I don't think silence is an option that Jesus would choose. It's time for those of us in the church to take our responsibility seriously and call out those who would draw lines regarding the value, worth, or dignity of another.
And I guess the question that we first need to ask ourselves, that you need to ask yourself and I need to ask myself is, who's in and who's out in your world? Who's in and who's out in my world? What lines do we draw personally? And it might be that each of us, knowing that we serve a God who is personal, that we ask God to help us deal with those personal lines that we draw in order to be a more effective witness in breaking those lines as a church. Let's pray.